Welcome to another edition of the syndicated podcast, Slaying Your Giants. I'm your host, King David Haynes. Blessed to see another day. Thanking God for this wonderful day and the chance to interview our wonderful guest today. We have a special guest, Miss Dory Johnson. Dory is a mother of four. She's a tax professional and she owns her own online admin business. Dory was addicted and and is an overcomer and we are glad to have her on the show to impart her wisdom with the listening audience. And I ask you to join me in welcoming Dory to the show. How are you, Dory? I'm doing good. Thank you for that introduction. It was awesome. <laughs> well, yes, we appreciate you being here and taking time out of your busy life to uh, to speak with us. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll just uh, go to the Lord and with a quick prayer. Father, we... We come before you in the name of Jesus, just thanking you, Lord, for another beautiful day. Uh, we thank you for waking us up this morning, Father, giving us another day that wasn't promised to us. We ask you, Father, to be with our guest as she speaks, and may the words and the 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 testimony she give be you know, what you want her to say, Father. And we pray that your will be done in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Dory, we we want to get started and and uh, kind of get, get you introduced to the listeners. Uh, can you tell me, where are you from? Where were you born? Where would where'd you spend your young life? In Connecticut, a small town called New Britain. Hey, you and were so, you were born there? I was born there, yes. Oh, you're from Connecticut. Yeah. Oh. That's original born and raised. Okay, how long did you stay there? Did you go to school there through the school years? I did. I went through all of school there. Okay, and, and and how was your childhood? Did you have the traditional two-parent home, or how was it? Um, my home was uh, two parents. Don't know that it was traditional, but it, it definitely was a two-parent home. So I grew up one of five siblings in the home. Uh, my father, he had been married prior to my mom, and he had five children from that marriage. My mom also was married twice and had five children. And together they had two children. So I come from a big family, a big extended family. That's great. I, I, that's about, that's what I was about to say is, boy, you come from a big family. And with all of those siblings around, I know it was a, a pretty uh, hectic household because uh, I kind of grew up around a lot of a lot of people with a big family, and uh, we can enjoy that, you know, to a large degree, especially as as kids. 
Right. Uh, so, so okay, you you. Uh, what would you say? You know, was it like? What What did you see as a child? Were Were there was there alcoholism, drug use, or or it wasn't? I mean, tell us about your childhood a little. Um, I, there was not that in the home. Um, my parents really did raise me in church. My parents were Pentecostal. And so, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something about my dad, um, since he was the leader of the home. I probably had a misunderstood relationship with my father. Okay. Um, so my father didn't have any real education to speak of. He had been born in Baltimore. He was born in the early 1900s, so he worked at a very young age. So he had to take the, the focus was taken off of education in their home. The boys in their home worked. So he, my dad, had really sketchy penmanship. Okay. Um, but he had he, he had amassed a lot of knowledge over the years just from experiences um, at a time way before I was born, he had gone to jail. And while he was in jail, he read the encyclopedia. Okay, okay. It kind of, he, had, he was self-educated. Well, not self, of course that came from God, but he was self-taught in that way. He learned from other people that were in jail how to read, and then he committed reading, he committed that to himself to read the encyclopedia. So he was somewhat of a wordsmith. Uh, but my dad was very strict. He was a lot older. My dad was twenty years older than my mom. Okay. And let me let me let me stop you and say that I've known lots of black men older than me, uh, and that's a time type thing. When they came through, you know, your back was more valuable than anything else. Uh, school was. I, I know of people that came through in that time. And then I know those that were in the transition time when people people started realizing that we need education and the the right. back is gonna run out. But that's that's nothing against him, just the time that he came through and and I give him credit for doing something about it. Right. Okay, so go ahead. So now he's self taught. And I appreciate you telling us about your family. Yeah, because I think that um, where I come from has a lot to do with, you know, my testimony. And it has a lot to do with why I was drawn back. Well. They originally planned for me. My parents had the best of intentions with me. I do believe that, 1,000%. Well, that, I mean, that's the reason I always ask the question, Dory, because it certainly does have something to do with it. I mean, we're not trying to to fix blame or place blame anywhere, but they're just people listening who, whatever your story is, you know, there's somebody who can identify, and theirs was similar, or it reminds them. And... And but it certainly does have something to do with with how we all turn out as adults. Right, right. Okay, so, so go ahead with it. You, and you were telling us about about your father in the home. It really became an 
after he got out of jail was a Bible scholar. He got he got introduced to the Lord in jail, and he really became a Bible scholar. So uh, he he eventually became a teacher of the Bible. And so I'm saying that to say he was real fond of visual aids and charts and stuff like that. So a lot of my father and my relationship was had over me doing his lesson plan with him. So like I said, he had sketchy penmanship. So he would write out his lesson plan and I would transfer it onto his visual aid boards and he needed the penmanship needed to be perfect and all that. But what I didn't really realize what was happening then is that I was writing Bible verses. I was writing lesson plans. So of course the word didn't end me, even though I wouldn't resist it, but Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah, I had to look up passages in the Strong's Concordance and do the parallel Bible with him. He'd say a verse in the King James and have me look it up in the Amplify and then have me break down the words in the concordance to see what they really meant. So while my friends were out playing and riding bikes and doing all that, I was inside doing a lesson plan. So I resented that, but it again, it was a seed that was necessary to be planted at the time. So Okay. Yeah, and I, I know how a kid would look at that. You wanna be out playing too. Uh, right. you, exactly. you you almost would look at that like it's work. Uh, right. Yeah, right. so I could see how you would end up resenting that after not too long. And we lived in the projects, so all the houses very close together. I mean, they were all connected. So, you know, I could hear the kids playing outside and I wanted to be out there. But, you know, there was a reason for all that. So Now, is that Baltimore or Connecticut? I was in Connecticut. Okay, because in Baltimore, but by the time I came along, he was in Connecticut. Yeah, I, I've been to Baltimore quite a bit, and uh, that's a rough town. I mean, all you listeners in Baltimore, I love the fish market. Yes, yes, it, it's definitely, it, and it's gotten, it's really bad now. Yeah. Still okay. So, um, so anyway, my brother, I have a brother, Timothy. So my brother and I, we were a part of this experimental program. I'm telling you more about my childhood. Yeah, so, yeah, go go ahead. I'm not sure if you remember, but they used to come around from the census board, and there would be people that would come around with these clipboards to take the demographics of your family. Like they didn't, We didn't have computers and all that back then, so how they knew what the city was made up of in terms of racial population and and how many children in the home, they did that by going door to door. Yeah, no, I, I, I clearly remember that. Okay. Yeah. So, my, so uh, they came and did uh, the demographics, and my brother and I scored very high on, uh, what they did was they would give you the opportunity to read if you could. I was probably in kindergarten at the time, and my brother may have been in second grade. And so they gave us these little cards to read. And apparently we read very well to be inner city kids. Yeah. Always that to be inner city kids. You're smart to be an inner city child, but whatever. So they did this experiment with us to 
where they offered my parents to let us both go to the Catholic school for the price of one. Mm. And so we went to the other side of town and we did. We went to the Catholic school. So that was a good experience for the most part. It was a very good learning experience. Um, the racial makeup of the school, when we first got there, we were the only black kids in the school. So that was kind of different. You know, my hair was different. My voice was different. My skin was definitely different. So um, that was that was kind of tough. But my dad went to work very early. He worked at a factory. This was back before factories were removed. But he worked for a factory. And so he would take us to school as early as he went to work. He had to be to work at 530 in the morning. Mm. So we went to the convent because school didn't start until after seven. Right. So we went to the convent. That's where I really, I learned how to serve there because I made toast for the mother superior and I swept the little foyer area and made sure everything was in its right place. So that was a learning experience. But anyway, by the time I went to high school, I went to public high school. It was a culture shock. I think I was very much ahead academically, but I was way behind socially. So, because that's not concentrated on in the Catholic school. Yes, um, yes. Strictly academics. So, when I got to high school, I was determined that I was gonna be cool and I was gonna be hip and I was gonna fit in. So, I believe that that's where the rebellion be, really began in my life. Because my parents say I was a very good child. And I started acting up as a teenager. And I remember buying my first pack of cigarettes. I was in the ninth grade. Mm. And, and um, the first pack was, it was rough to get through. But I fought through the goodness. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you fought through it and went on and consumed. I fought on through it. I fought through it. <laughs> And I came out what I thought was victorious. Hey, yeah. So that must have been I was fifteen at the time. Okay. Time. So that was that was probably the beginning of the errant ways that I would be consumed with before it was all over. So as far as high school went, I dropped out in March of my senior year. Now, this was unbeknownst to my parents. They didn't know because what I was good at doing was intercepting the mail. Both my parents worked. They they both had to work, you know. Right. So, um, they both worked. They both served in the church. And, you know, so they, they thought they were, you know, they were bringing their kids to church and we were learning how to serve in the church. But they were not in tune to the double life I was leading, you know, because I truly was leading a double life. They didn't know I smoked. They didn't know any of that. And they certainly didn't know I dropped out of high school. They would have. Yeah. So by the time they found out, it was too late for them to do anything about it. Hmm. So um, now are I, you are, are you OK? So at this point, you, when you dropped out, are you doing drugs yet? Or are you just smoking cigarettes or are you drinking beer or tell me? Yeah. Doing drugs yet? Well, I am doing drugs. I smoke marijuana too. Okay, okay. Um, the same time that I started with the cigarettes, I started smoking marijuana as well. Okay. So, um, I had a best friend in high school, and her mom was very, very ill, and so I would leave the house as if I were going to school. So that's how my—that's why my parents didn't know. 
I would leave the house as if I were going to school and I would go over to my friend's house. And I think the reason, and she, before she got sick, she was an educator. So education was very important to her. However, she was really stricken with cancer and she was very, very ill. And I think intuitively she knew she wouldn't be around long. Mm. And I think I was a comfort to her, you know? So she didn't get on me about, at first she tried, you know, you need to go, but I couldn't leave her. I just, I would feel so bad leaving her. And so I stayed with her. Eventually she didn't kick the scream anymore. She just let me stay. That was in March and she died in May of mm. that same year. Mm. So, you know, I regret the time I spent with her cause she was really precious to me. But, you know, when I did leave home at 18, I left home to go to Ohio and I, my sister lived in Ohio. Okay. So I left home to go be with her. It, when I got there, I was, like I said, I was 18 and I immediately got into a relationship with a much older man. Okay. And I think what I looked for, I didn't know it at the time, but it came out of what I saw as a broken relationship with my father. I really didn't have a broken relationship with my father. My father was a good man, a godly man, and he he thought he had me on the right path. My resentment made it look like a bad relationship. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I understand. So then, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I understand. So it was easy for the older man to just because he did the things that I saw lacking in my father. He was affectionate. He was, well, of course, he had an agenda. You know, I didn't know that. At <laughs> right, right, right. It clung to him. And how I originally got introduced to drugs was, uh, oh, well, let me tell you this part first. My mom, I was there, I was in Ohio with my sister. My sister was 17 years older than me, so, but she was still my sister, so, she saw me getting into this relationship with this man. She tried to shut it down. But, you know, it's only so much your sister can do. You yeah. Know? yeah. I, you know, I was grown, too. You couldn't tell me nothing. So, <laughs> man, I was boning out from under my parents. And, yeah. You know, and this man is showing me all this attention and, and you know, just crazy. So what one of my one of my guests uh, previously, Ricky Simmons, he, he refers to it as an 18 year old genius. <laughs> you know, you already know everything. Nobody can't tell you nothing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly how it was. Ridiculous. <laughs> and so he, this man, well, first my mom, she got wind of the relationship because my sister told it. I always told my sister she betrayed me. But my sister was like, if my if mommy finds out that I let this happen, you know, I, no. So she told my mom. My mom flew down there to Ohio. <laughs> she got me. She came and knocked on the door at the man's house and said, I came to get my daughter. <laughs> and at 18, I thought that she could do that. I thought, I was like, okay, well, I got to go. Because I feared my parents. Even though I was being rebellious, I still had that fear. Yeah. So, I, you know, I told him I got to go. So I got on a plane with her and went back to Connecticut. Okay. He got... He was just undone. So he 
went and talked to somebody and calls me and tells me that your parents can't make you be there. You're 18, you're grown, you can do what you want. They can't stop you. So he sends me the money for the ticket and I get back on the plane and go back to Ohio. I was determined to be rebellious. So his brother was a drug dealer. Mm. And um, this man, this man that I was with, he, he was a numbers bookie. Hmm. The numbers. Yeah. Uh, so he would every day have to turn go turn his numbers into the head bookie. So it would have to be like by seven thirty at night. It's been years ago. But I think it was by seven thirty because, or maybe it was by seven because the number was drawn at seven thirty. Anyway, that's irrelevant. But he would always leave to go turn in the numbers. Well, his brother, who was a drug dealer, he was. He lived a very fast life, so he would just come zip in, zip out, zip in, and zip out. So this one particular day, the man I was with went to go and turn his numbers in, and while he was gone, his brother zipped in. Hmm. Well, he not only was a drug dealer, he was a user as well. So when he zipped in this particular time, he set his little station up at the table, and he said, do you want to try this? And I don't... I don't even know what it was just my curiosity it was just being it was being footloose fancy free grown as I thought you know and and in rebellion I was in complete rebellion against my parents okay now hold on Dory hold on I'm gonna stop you right there and uh and we'll pick it back up and we'll take a quick commercial break thank you for listening to this episode of Slaying Your Giants. The show is brought to you by Prodigal Sons Ministry. We need and ask for your support. Please support us in our ongoing efforts to bring this information and help relieve the suffering of addiction and incarcerations. You can help us where the podcast is hosted on anchor.fm or you can help us on patreon.com. You can support us there by becoming a patron for anywhere from $1 to $50 a month. Just search for King David Haynes and you will find our page, patreon.com. Okay, we are back with Miss Dory Johnson and she is relating and testifying and telling us about her situation and her life. Okay, Dory, now pick it back up. Okay, so the brother had zipped in and he asked you if you want to try. This is your first time seeing some drugs. What did he have, crack? He had, he had pre-base. Okay. Now, yeah. but it, was, it had, seemed to have had a little different effect, but at any rate, yes, that's what he had. And he, he also was a scientist. I mean, he had gone to school for chemistry. Okay. So, you know, I was pretty intrigued by the fast life that he lived. You know, he had the sports cars. And like I said, he zipped in and zipped out. And I was just intrigued by that. And he was older, much older man than me, but he was younger than the man, than his brother, the man I was with. But at any rate, so he asked me if I wanted to try it. I was about 19 and I tried it. And the first time I tried it, I loved it. 
I mean, I didn't have this bad experience or whatever. It just, I mean, it drew me in immediately. And so I would probably spend the next 20 years, not consistently all 20, but just struggling on and off. And it always been in the back of my mind, you know, I struggled a lot. And there were times when uh, I was in, I won't say sobriety because I, that that just wasn't a real that wasn't real. Um, but there were times when I was not smoking crack. Yes. Um, during that time, because I had never given it to God. Yes. I did self help type things, so it never really left because uh, self help just it didn't work for me. I'm not saying it not not work for others, but it didn't work for me. I had to truly have an encounter with God. Amen. So, Amen. I, I spent the next years just, you know, on again, off again, on again, off again. And uh, and never really understanding why this thing had such a hold of me, you know, because it, it didn't affect other people in my family like that. Like, I was such a black sheep. My, my siblings went to college and they got married and they did what they were supposed to do. And here I was and I was supposed to be quote, the smart one, unquote, you know, because I had the little advantage, you know, of going to school at this Catholic school and being an inner city kid. And then also, you know, the time that my dad spent with me doing the Bible research, it did, it gave me a, 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 I don't know, there was, there was a seed, there was seed planted. And so I always, like, I could always call up the word, even though I wasn't practicing it and definitely wasn't living it. But it was always there, you know. Well, 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 let me stop you there and 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 say this for for some of the listeners, and 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 they may have heard me say it before with other guests. But in in my experience, and I've talked to so many addicts, you know, recovered and otherwise, uh, I see very few that uh, you know just change their life overnight. Uh, mm-hmm. most people, like I'm speaking of that 20 years of up and down. Uh, uh, I had a time of that, and I'm saying this for those that are still experiencing that. They they have sincerely tried, but they relapse and they fall back. And And my whole point is that you never give up. That uh, the rest of us that are walking in the light and have overcome and slayed the giant, we had the same thing. It was up and down. It wasn't automatic. It wasn't just because I wanted it to. You had to learn more about what triggered you. You had to learn to stay away from certain kind of people, places, and things. Uh, but I just haven't met a lot of people that, this is a the addiction this is a short-term deal and it's easy to break free from so take courage from dory's story uh that she struggled and she was up and down but she eventually found the victory and you can as well okay now back to you dory okay now go on your story is just so great and so uh uplifting that uh, I just want you to go on. I feel like we're sitting in the living room having a conversation. So now you try this stuff around 19 years old. 
with that guy. And and so what what happened, you know, sure after that? Well, what happened was um so the the brother, he came home. So when he came home and saw that cuz by the time he came home, I was all in. Yeah. So we He didn't want that 18-year-old, 19-year-old to walk out the door. So if you can't beat him, join him. He had that mentality. So it wasn't that day, but I refused to give it up. I was determined that this is what I was going to do because I didn't see, I had no insight into the ramifications of something like this and what it could do to you physically, financially. I had no idea. I mean, I thought I was partying because I was going to work. I had a job. I was working at the bank. And I wasn't a teller. I was working. I was an admin. Uh, so somehow I could still get myself up and get dressed and go to work. So you, I really didn't see the danger of the addiction yet. And I think, and I was addicted very quickly, mm-hmm. very quickly, or, or at least very quickly out. Yeah, I, all I can say is I was addicted because I wanted it all the time. Yes. So. Um, it was very strong back then, so I couldn't smoke it all the time, but I wanted to. Like, it was always in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. So, as I said, you know, the next years would just be a struggle. Sometimes on, sometimes not. Uh, in and out of relationships. Um, the relationships I chose were just... I always saw deficiencies in myself and I tried to have relationships with people that didn't have that same deficiency. But really I was getting, I was a broken person getting with other broken people. And so that two broken people didn't make a whole person just made two broken people. Yeah, you know what, It to me that's, like you said something there, you, you were looking for something. And, yeah. and to me, what we many of us are looking to fill this God-sized hole that mm. that's in us, and mm. and if for lack of a better way to explain it, for some of us, you know, I've been to hundreds of twelve-step meetings, and and it just didn't work for me, as you said, and. I did all those things too. And until I filled that space mm-hmm. in my soul with Jesus Christ, his teachings, his learnings, until I put him there to feel what I felt like I was empty at, mm-hmm. then I started to heal. Okay, now go ahead. I don't want to, this is your episode. But you saying things that I know happen to a lot of people. Right, right. I love what you just said. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so when I, in, in 2008, I went to, wasn't a 12-step program, but I went to, there's a man in San Antonio named Freddie Garcia. And he has a story of overcoming addiction. He's deceased now. He passed away in 2009. Now, I, I, let me start. I read Freddie Garcia's book. I didn't know he was deceased. And I know about Freddie Garcia. Uh, he, 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 he had a great story. And he had that, that book of, uh, of how, you know, God had blessed him to help all these other addicts. 
Absolutely, it's called Outcry in the Barrio. Yeah, Outcry in the Barrio. Okay, so go ahead. You 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 hooked up with Freddie Garcia. Yeah. Um, so uh, the way I hooked up with him, my brother is a musician, and his son also is a musician. They knew each other. My brother knew I was struggling, and um, see, because during this time, during the, my clean time, I had gone. I I was here. I went to San Antonio. I went to San Antonio following my parents. Mm -hmm. I was very cool to You know, um, they helped me with my children, uh, all of that. I mean, just the, the grace of God that I've never, my children were never taken away from me because they probably should have been. But, you know, nobody came knocking on the door about the kids. No CPS workers and all that came. So... My mother and my father really were instrumental in making sure that my children were cared for, they were fed, all of that. You know, they spent a lot of time with my parents. Yeah, praise and, God for that. Oh my God, oh my God, I'm so grateful for that. So my brother was, my brother lived in Texas. Uh, he had gone there uh, as a teenager, right out of high school because uh, you know, he, he could play the, he's just a phenom on, on a Hammond B3 or any, any, any keyboard. Okay. And, and so Noel Jones asked my parents if he could bring him to his ministry. And so they let him go. And it really became a career for him, a real career path. He's, he does it now. So um, he, he was in Texas. And so he convinced my parents, y'all need to come here. It's warmer. Y'all are getting older. Y'all don't want to be in that cold. And so they came. They went to Texas, and then that I went with them. And so while there, when I went, I was addicted when mm. I went. Okay. And, um, but I went into this, I went to church on, I got to Texas on a Thursday. I went to church on that Sunday. And there was a song that the man that was singing and it was called Diamond Tears. I don't even know if it's a song that can that you can find on YouTube, but that song, it just reached this place in my life and it broke me all the way down. Amen. And so I went up and they asked for people to come up and I went up, I daggled me around up there. And you know, God really touched my heart. And even though, even though that wasn't the end of my addiction, it was the beginning of God really breaking me down, you know, like there was so much stuff to be broken down in my life, you know, so many walls I had erected to protect myself. And they weren't even, those walls weren't even protecting me, you know, they were, it was just, you know, I had a lot of self-destructive behavior, but that was a real introduction to a side of God that I hadn't allowed myself to see because I didn't know God the Father. Because I have, you know, I, if I saw God as a father, then I saw him like I saw my father. So there was, you know, I just had a skewed view of this big old creature that was in the sky that, you know, had darts that he would fire at you. He did wrong stuff. And, and, and that experience let me know that he wasn't that at all. You know? Sure, and sure. Just, you know, that really did change. That changed my life. But so eventually... I did go to Freddie Garcia's place. That's where I went because his brother and my brother was like, you know, you need to go talk to this guy. He's been where you've been. 
you know, and everybody thinks their story is so unique because I did, you know, he ain't did this and he didn't do that, you know, so, but I went and when I was there, it, it's not a 12 step program, but it, uh, when I was there, what really truly happened is I had an encounter with God. Cause when I first went, I didn't believe in the program. I didn't believe in, uh, rehabs and all that because I was raised in church. So if you got something, you take it to the altar and it goes away. But I had been to the altar a bunch of times and it didn't go away, you know? Right. So it's because, too, you can go to the altar, but you also have to do your part. And so I didn't, I couldn't accept, uh, like, the love of God because I just didn't feel worthy of it, you know? So once I, once I got to that place and I got really, really clean, then I began to experience the real love of God. And he just began to just take off uh, layer after layer of, of stuff, you know, of, of low self-esteem. And and then, I, you know, I was mad at myself for allowing myself to be a drug addict. I compared myself to my siblings and why me and, you know, all of that. So I had a lot of resentment. I had resentment towards my parents. And he just began, God just began to strip all of that off. And he took me just to the basics of, I love the world so much that I gave my only son. Like, I had read that scripture before, but it didn't, it took on life to me when God spoke that to me. Like, sure. I wouldn't give son up, you know, but he's like, I gave my only son, my prized possession. So you, Dory, could have life. Sure. He, became, he, he got up close and personal with me, you know. So I began a personal relationship with God, and that's when I got free. Amen. I had been trying to get free using my own stuff. Okay, well, I'm not going to that neighborhood no more. And wouldn't I be in a new neighborhood and seeing the same drug dealer in the store in a different neighborhood? Yeah. So, <laughs> crazy stuff. I had gone, one time I had gone for like three years, hadn't touched it, hadn't thought about it. And actually, I was working, I was helping this ministry do this, their, get their office together. Because God has gifted me in that area in ministry, but even that wasn't enough to keep me. So, uh, so I'm doing, so I'm helping this ministry get their office set up. And my daughter lives in an apartment that's right next door to it. So I was at her house, so I would walk over to this ministry. Mm -hmm. And I was over there, and it had been three years, and I was doing good. But it was three years of my own doings, not being in neighborhoods, not going to this store, because that store was going to remind me of when I would go in there and buy the crack type. So I ain't going to that store no more. Yeah. So I erected little filters in my life to keep me clean. So I'm walking, minding my business, on a way to a church, mind you, King David. Mm. When I passed by the barbershop and doesn't the drug dealer that used to give me all this credit come out the barbershop. Mm. It's Hey, I ain't seen you in a minute. Come here. And there I go. And boom, I was back again. So, but that was before I had the real encounter with God. But since that time, it, it God really changed my life. Um, it hasn't always been easy, you know. But what I do realize, though, is that the more I tell people about it, um, the more free I get. Okay. It that's 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 exactly right 
Uh, mm-hmm. It 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 kind of helps you to purge, uh, you know, and and kind of spit up all of that. Uh, you'll even see it in a different light speaking about it, and sometimes ask yourself, "Did I really do that?" Right. And yeah. and yeah. it's just different when when you expose the secrets you know, and bring light and shine the light in the corners and the darkness where these things are still hiding out. And, and you, you know, you take off that veil of the fake you and put on, you know, your godly face. Uh, you start, when I know with me, there were certain issues that, you know, they weren't good things that I used to do that I never really had to adjust in every one of them individually. Mm. Because if I'm following Jesus, if I'm following the teachings of the word and I'm trying, of course, I'm not perfect, but if I'm trying to follow God's leading, a bunch of this stuff is just going to fall away. And I realized three or four months later that, huh, I hadn't done this in three or four months. And I never even put in any specific effort to try to quit that. It's just your life, uh, you start taking on more of God's ways. Of course, we not, none of us perfect, but the light cannot coexist with the darkness. And the light pushes out the darkness. God doesn't just snap his mighty fingers and, and, and in a week and a half you have undone 20 years worth of bad habits and, and, and 20 years of digging this hole deep for you to get out of. It just doesn't work like that. It's going to take some effort and some trusting, and some believing, and some hard work. And But if we are willing to do these things, uh, I mean, you can come out of that lifestyle just like you have. So I just, I just really appreciate you uh, blessing us by, by showing us another, just another person who, you know, has found their way through faith in, in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, love, you know, I do, I love going to church. I'm a member of a church, but really what changed my life was just having a relationship with God. And so now, I mean, I, I, I believe so strongly in the word. I go to my word every day, you know, and I just look for something encouraging in the word. What I start out doing is I just read one Psalms and one proverb today. That's just my, I do that repetitively. And I think just, and what that does is it leads you to look for something else. And I always find a nugget. I always find life. The word always takes on a 2019 meaning, even though it was written over 2000 years ago. It's just crazy how the word is like that. It's, living it's the living bible you know amen amen comfort in that 
you know, so I you, surround myself with positive people, you know, so I'm very grateful for this platform because I've listened to these episodes that you have on there. And it's just a bunch of powerful people that you have. Well, just just saying something about what you just said, that how that word was written so long ago, but yet I, I just it made me think of the first time that I had come across Psalm 107. And in in Psalm 107, uh, we, we, we are praising God for his wonderful works to the children of men and how he is a protector and a rescuer and a healer of us. But one of the the lines in it that I couldn't believe was uh, they abhorred all manner of food and drew near to the gates of death. And and he was talking about these these people and and I just was I was just floored that what kind of substance because they could they have had way back in those thousands of years ago that would make people hate the sight of food. Just like what many people know cocaine does. You know, you can, I could go five, six, seven days without even eating. I didn't even think about food. I wasn't even hungry. But the whole time you're killing your liver, you ain't helping your kidneys. Uh, you know, you you you're drawing near to the gates of death, just like what's in the Bible, and I couldn't believe that. So it 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 did the same thing to me. It made me realize, well, what else? I just stumbled up on this. What else is in there that could help me? And what other wisdom? is there that could teach me and, and show me, you know, just a way to live. And it started there. That's why I know it, it, God will do that for any of us that earnestly seek him. And that's who I'm talking to now is I'm talking to the ones you and I are not unique, Dory. And, uh, you know, 12 step helps whoever they help and God bless you and more power to you. But, it doesn't work for everybody. And I know lots of people who found their recovery through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you are one more and I certainly appreciate uh, you giving us this testimony and, and, and being honest about what happened to you. Uh, I think and I know that that the listeners would enjoy this and there's somebody that's going to take strength, you know, from what you have been through and what you survived, uh, because that's that's really what it is. You survived it. and God has healed you and and brought you to this point today, blessed you that you still breathe the air in this world. And you know that's not automatic. 
Tito. I I just really appreciate you being with us. Uh, was was there anything else that you wanted to relate to the listeners? Did you if you if you had some advice to somebody that was still out there, what what would you say to them, Dory? There is, God created us in his image and in his likeness. So there is a piece of him in every single creation. So I would say to that person that's struggling, I mean, eventually you might get yourself to a church or to some type of religious organization, but I would just go to that inner well and that I would cry out to God because when I cried out to God for real, he truly, truly answered. And he will show, your answer first will come in, in inside. You just begin to be lifted. It doesn't mean, like you said, it might not happen overnight, but when you realize that you have access to God, that is something that can just truly set you free. And just begin to talk to him the same way you talk to another human being, you know, because he, God meets us where we are. And so, well, you can be in the darkest alley, but God can come to that alley right where you are. And he can change your life, like, drastically, right? He will meet us where we are. So that's that's what I would say, just to come to know him, cry out to him, know that he is available and accessible, and that nothing that we go through, actually, he hasn't already made an account for so there's nothing that's so that 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 freaks him out nothing freaks him out so you know it's never too late that's the thing that you said that earlier i love that you said that it's never too late no if if as long as you still drawing breath uh there's still hope there's still good days ahead you can yes. you can still serve and help others uh you 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 just never give up, even in the worst of cases. Uh, God still can make a way for you, Dory. I I'm gonna let you go now, and I I certainly thank you. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Uh, it 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 was just a, a pleasure, and I thank God for you, and I thank God for your recovery. Uh, we just wish you all the best and God willing, we will be back next week with another episode of slaying your giants. Thank you.